Tonight on Fig Tree Watchers, we're discussing Jesus and the Transfiguration. That's next here on Fig Tree Watchers, so stay tuned. That is right. It is all about Mark chapter 9 verses 1 through 13. And you're going to want to stay tuned for this because this is going to be good. Uh, Hello everyone. And uh, yes, I am back. I am fo- finally overcoming the uh, the sickness that I've been enduring, and uh, it is good to be back with you. So uh, uh, we will be discussing a lot tonight, and uh, I may be a little bit rusty here or have a little bit of a uh, a growly voice, you might say. But it is good to be with you all tonight, and uh, so we're going to invite our friends on. And welcome everyone to Fig Tree Watchers as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. So invite a friend, tell someone the good news. After a a week-long absence, I am back. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your kindness. It has been great. Uh, to be back here tonight. I am looking so forward to it. And uh, I am so grateful for all the kind messages I received and the prayers that uh, that you had for me. Um, want to let you know that you can listen to the replay of this broadcast tonight. Um, tomorrow on Fig Tree Watchers, the podcast, which are on, is on all the major platforms. We also want to uh, let you know that um, uh, as well as being on uh, Fig Tree Watcher podcasts uh, on, on all the major platforms, you can also go to figtreewatchers.com and you can check us out there as well. And so we want to invite you uh, to join us here on Instagram, on the Bible study. And then tomorrow night, uh, Io will be joining us here on Instagram live uh, for Friday Night Prophecy as we discuss the news events of the week and how they relate to Bible prophecy. So thank you all for joining us tonight and we look forward to discussing the good things that God is doing in our lives. Well, it is so good to be back with you. Uh, I just wanted to tell you all, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and I, I mean it for all of the prayers and kind messages that I have received. Tonight, um, it is usually topical Thursday night, uh, but I wanted to go over what we were going to uh, discuss on a Monday that I missed because of illness. Uh, we'll be going back in Mark and discussing that. The reason why I want to do that is because in the next few months, we are going to be diving into the book of Zechariah. Uh, and uh, I want to finish up this series in Mark and in First Samuel. Um, and I realize there's been delays because I got COVID and then I got sick again. And, and here we are. There just seems to be these delays. But God is good in those delays. Um, he is really preparing some exciting stuff uh, for through the book of Zechariah uh, that I am already um, very excited about. I just 
every day there is something new I'm learning about the book of Zechariah. But now we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we want to finish up this series. We want to finish up the book of Mark. And um, we, we probably have about two and a half months left of going through the Gospel of Mark. And I want to finish that. So tonight, uh, being Topical Thursday, which is my day that we do a free topic, we're actually going to go through the Mount of Transfiguration and continue in the series on the Gospel of Mark. Let's pray before we begin. Dear Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather again together here in this uh, live broadcast on Instagram and, and on the uh, the podcast, Lord, that and we can discuss your word, God, through the scripture as we get ready to go through chapter 9. I pray, O oh God, that it would not be my words that would be spoken tonight, but that it would be your words through the Holy Spirit that would transform lives, um, that it would correct misunderstandings, O Lord, and it would draw us closer to you, God, that it would really change our hearts and our minds and draw us into having a deeper relationship with you. Because in the end, Lord, all scripture is about you. It's about you. It's about your coming, you're dying on the cross. You're raising from the dead. Your victorious win over sin, the conquering of death, and your return in the last days and your reign. We pray, God, that you would really help us tonight to understand the truth of God's word in our life and that it would really change us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I am so glad to be here tonight and that my voice is in a position that I'm not hacking every five seconds and uh, um, that we can go through this gospel of Mark. So let's go ahead and begin. We're going to dive down into it, um, starting in chapter 9, verses 1 through uh, 13. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should not tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning 
what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah may come first? And then he answered them and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Well, this is a uh, <clears throat> incredible story in the Gospel of Mark. It is absolutely supernatural. It is a supernatural event that defies understanding. And so we're going to break it down, as we always do, verse by verse, because this is why we do this so that we can understand the word of God in a deeper manner. Let's start with verse one, in which it says, and he said to them, assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now this is interesting because what Jesus is predicting that some of the disciples will not die until they see the kingdom of God present with power. <clears throat> now, why does this mean? Well, most scholars look at this and they will, they will say that uh, these disciples didn't die until they could see the kingdom of God present with power, meaning that they would see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of that. Uh, and that's a good explanation. Another explanation is that it's referencing John because John would outlive all the disciples and he would see the vision of the last days in real time uh, because he would be caught up into heaven and he would see the kingdom of God present with all of its power. And that may very well be the case that it is describing. I think it's actually both. That the disciples, none of them would die until uh, until they would see this, this incredible power, and that would be with James and Peter and John as well. But what, the reason why Jesus says some standing here is because Judas would die. Judas would die and not see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was actually correct in his prophetic word because Judas did die, but the others did see the resurrected Lord come in his power, the kingdom of, of God present with power because Jesus would be resurrected. Also, we'll say to you that John, if you believe it's John, John also fulfills his prophecy. Uh, to a T. He doesn't die until the vision of the book of Revelation is revealed to him. Now it's interesting because Jesus then takes Peter, James, and John, and he kind of puts them in a leadership category uh, and gives them an exclusive briefing so they could understand what was coming. And it's interesting because these three 
become the leadership of the church and John eventually becomes the sole leader of the church um, after Peter and James and, and even the Apostle Paul are all killed off. And it is this transfiguration that takes place in verse 2. Now after six days, uh, it is interesting that it was six days after what the Sabbath day, so it was leading up to the Sabbath day. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. He is taking on his heavenly state. And what I believe happens here is very interesting. The Bible says that the tree of life has never been moved. And I believe that that is, I believe the scripture, absolutely. And what I think that means is that where the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden has never been moved because the Garden of Eden was a part of heaven dimensionally allowing man to reside in that part of heaven and expanding the kingdom of heaven out because they were told by God to expand the garden, right? And to the earth to expand it. And the reason why it's been not seen now, but it's in the same exact place is because that dimensional portal has been cut off. We know that an angel stands there blocking the way. Um, and in the same way, what you're seeing now is a dimensional portal that's taking place. Now, I there are a bunch of theories about this, but I want to point one out to you that I think is pretty interesting. Moses was forbidden to ever enter into the promised land because of the sins that he had committed. And so he died not getting to go into the promised land. Now, here's the interesting thing about the grace of God. Moses is transfigured here with Jesus and he gets to enter into the promised land with Jesus. At this moment, God allows him grace grace to see this. I think this is kind of interesting note that God's grace is there. But we know that Moses and Elijah are are have passed away at this time. I mean, this is centuries later that has gone on here. But I just wanted to point out there is a moment of grace here that's allowed. Now there are some who argue that Moses and Elijah were transformed from their time to this present time to allow this to be seen. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, God is interdimensional. God could have done it. God has time. God moves in and out of time. Time is not control God. Uh, that's an interesting theory. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I think it's possible. Uh, but I will also say that um, what is actually going on here is that we can take the scripture in a literal sense that the kingdom of God, that God was uh, allowed Jesus to enter a dimensional state in which we saw his heavenly state, how he looked before being crucified. Because we see Jesus looking very close to this, but completely different when we see the vision of Jesus when he is with John in the book of Revelation in the first chapter. Now here is something that I think we do need to pay attention to.
that his garments are white as snow. Um, and the garment here is hamation. And it is a garment that is very similar for the church. If you're reading the first five chapters of the church, you know in the book of Revelation um, that the garments there are referenced are hamation. When you're dealing with after that, the tribulation saints' garments are stole. It's a different garment. And John was very specific with his words that he uses in the book of Revelation. And I, I know I misspoke. I said the, the, the church, but I meant in the book of Revelation, the first five chapters, which represent the church um, and the church raptured into heaven. And then you have the seals opening up after that. After that point, you have stole representing the tribulation saints who come to Christ. The other thing that you want to, Look at here, it is verse four and it says, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Now, if you look at Luke 24, 27, here in this passage, um, it is a similar reading of this uh, that takes place. But it's interesting because in Luke 24, 27, if you turn to it, you find a very interesting note in verse 27. And that is Jesus uh, in this passage is saying something very similar. He's saying, and beginning at, the, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning him. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus, after he's resurrected, Emmaus, sorry. And he is talking with the travelers that are with him. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What is so unique about this passage in Mark chapter nine, that is that, Moses and Elijah here, this is the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets all point to one thing, to Jesus. Everything in the scripture points to Jesus. And we know that because that's what Jesus is pointing out himself in Luke 24, 27. But we also get this idea from Matthew and I want to bring this up for you to, to read real quick. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. If you wouldn't mind, we're going to take a look at that just for a second. Jesus said this, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, interesting. Jesus is coming to fulfill the law and the prophets. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why is Jesus saying this? This is really important. For those of you who remembered, when we went through Leviticus chapter 1, and we were talking about the free will there, we pointed out that Leviticus 1 was a picture of Jesus Christ in the free will offering. And we pointed out how it brought about the need for free, the belief of free will in the Old Testament, but it pointed towards Jesus in that first chapter. The whole first chapter was about Jesus. And it is the law. It was the law of the free will offering, the sacrifice that you made, and it structured that law out there. But in that law, it pointed towards Jesus. It painted a picture of Christ coming to sacrifice himself to be the lamb that was without blemish, to die, and yet he was to be our sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. And this is fantastic because we see this literally what Jesus is talking about in the law, the book of Leviticus, the free will offering. We're seeing that Jesus fulfills this by coming and dying on the cross for our sins for being the lamb without blemish, without sin, dying for us. And Jesus in this chapter of Mark is actually telling them, I'm going to die. Now they don't understand that. It's a mystery to them. The death of the Messiah was a mystery in the Old Testament. It was not understood. It was pointed out, it was revealed, but not understood. And that is why it's really important to understand the word mystery means not understood. It is doesn't mean not revealed, okay? Because obviously that Christ was to die was revealed, but not understood by the Old Testament uh, people. In fact, this is one of the reasons why he says, you know, to the Pharisees at one point, hey, you err because you don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. He then reminds them in this passage in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the law and the prophets pointed out something very important. That your righteousness, the law pointed saying your righteousness isn't good enough. You need a savior. The law was a tutor that pointed the need for Jesus Christ. Okay, let me bear, let me prove this to you. In Galatians chapter three, verse 19, we see something very important. What purpose, Paul is saying, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not, Paul says. For it is, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly righteousness 
would have been by the law. So righteousness could not come through the law. Your salvation couldn't come through the law. Um, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But therefore faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. So it would be revealed after the law, right? Therefore the law, our tutor, there's the very word I was using earlier, our tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Why are we no longer under a tutor? But we are under grace itself, right? For it is by grace we have been saved through faith, this not our own, not by works, so that no man can boast. The law points to our sin. And what's interesting is, we no longer utilize it as our tutor. Why? Because the Holy Spirit becomes our tutor, right? Um, John 16, we talked about this last week. John 16 points out that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness to the whole world, right? To the whole world. So it is in this point that I am making through the scripture that in Mark chapter 9, it is the law that points out our sin, the necessity that we need a savior, Jesus Christ. It is the law that Jesus came not to put away, but to fulfill the law that points to our sin and that we are condemned and that we cannot earn righteousness on our own. We are not good enough. It's not by works. It's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him will not perish, will have ever, everlasting life. Through who? Jesus Christ. But it's also the prophets, right? The prophets prophesied of this. You can go back in the Old Testament and you can read Isaiah, Isaiah 53. You can read uh, Zechariah, which in the in the first chapter, the, the very first vision that Zechariah has is of Jesus riding a red horse, symbolizing that he is coming as to die first. And then in the book of Revelation, he comes and returns on a white horse as the conquering king. He is our priest and he is our king. He had to suffer the bloody horse, but he was also among the myrtle trees. He was among Israel. He came to Israel to die in Jerusalem for the sins of all mankind. And we'll look at that when we get to the book of Zechariah. We'll look at those four horses there that are in that first vision. And so it is the law and the prophets uh, that we see this uh, great fulfillment. One more verse for you out of the book of Matthew that I want to give you is Matthew 22. And I hope I can keep my voice going. I can feel it just tearing down right now. Um, but verse 39 and 40. In which he said this. 
This is uh, starting in verse 37, actually. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, why is Jesus saying on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying that the purpose of the law and the prophets is to show that God loves us, that he is sending us a redeemer. And it, if we love God, we will keep his commandments, right? This is what he says in verse 19 of <coughs> Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Love God, love others, because God first loved you by sending Jesus to die for you. That's really what John says in 1 John. We love him because he first loved us. How did he do that? By demonstrating that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so going back to Mark 9, we see this. And so Peter, he kind of comes up to this idea and he's like, wait a moment. Should we build a temple to these three? And, and Peter, he just doesn't understand what it is. No, it's because Jesus is above the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's not about Moses and Elijah. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so because he didn't know what to say, he was greatly afraid. He was kind of dumbfounded. But so God kind of like intervenes for Peter, right? God, the father kind of looks down. He has a chuckle. You could probably hear God chuckling. And he kind of wants to remind Peter once again, hey, it's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's about your redemption that I sent Jesus to die for you, Peter. And he says, and a cloud came overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Now, by the way, this is a, a, an incredible thing because what we're seeing here is um, once again, the duality of one God, God the Father and God the Son. We're seeing that one God, but the two persons in the Godhead coming forth. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw uh, no one around anymore except Jesus, just Jesus. And we just got to witness something that was really incredible here in this passage. We saw the supernatural God take place. We saw the kingdom of God revealed. We saw heaven. We saw that Elijah um, and Moses through eternal life uh, would be in heaven. They were having a discussion about the death of Jesus that was to come. Because how do we know this? Well, verse nine. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should not tell anyone the things which they had seen till the son of man had risen from the dead. 
So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. You see, it was a mystery. It was revealed in the Old Testament that the Messiah had to die. They just didn't understand that. They didn't understand why. They thought the Messiah was coming, what? To kick out Rome, to, to set up his kingdom, to rule on the earth. They understood that part of it. They just didn't understand the first coming. It was a mystery. They, they had all the information there, but they didn't understand it. So they asked this interesting question. You know, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Because they knew that through the prophet Malachi that, that Elijah was going to come first, but it was going to be something to do with when Jesus set up his kingdom. And Jesus answers them and says, indeed, Elijah is coming first. Okay? He is coming first. And he restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. Okay? And they did to him whatever they wished as it was written of him. In fact, in Matthew seven thirteen, it says, and they understood what Jesus was saying, that he was referring to John the Baptist. Referring to John the Baptist. This was also predicted in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that John the Baptist was coming, one who would prepare the way. I think if you look at this passage, you have a clear understanding that God in his sovereign will was setting something up from the Garden of Eden all the way to the present. That his will will be done. That Jesus is going to fulfill every last prophecy written about him from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That he is going to come, he is going to return, and he is going to set up his reign for a thousand years, he's going to rule and we will rule with him. The promise that we can get from this transfiguration is that God keeps his word. He keeps his word. And we can trust God to keep his word. That's the beauty of this scene that we see at the Mount Transfiguration. We can also see the God of grace in this vision. But there is something else that I want to remind you of. And that is, the spirit of prophecy is about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. In fact, um, in Revelation chapter 19.10, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all about Christ. The purpose of all prophecy is to reveal Jesus. In fact, um, we get a, a clear understanding of that. But there is one more thing that is here. Jesus is our mediator before God in heaven. And he is mediating out the understanding of the condemnation of the law, but the hope of prophecy that we will be saved. See, prophecy provides the hope. Prophecy is for the edification of the church, Paul tells us, right? 
It edifies us. Why? Because it prophesies that we do have salvation through Jesus Christ. And that Christ is coming again. And the removal of sin will happen. And we will have eternal life. This is what's prophesied to us. And we can believe it. But Jesus is our mediator. In fact, it says we have one mediator between God and man. First Timothy 2.5 tells us this. And it is the man, Jesus Christ. But it's interesting because Paul says the same thing in Galatians. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. It's interesting how he's saying that. For one only, but God is one. Why does it have to, why does it have to say God is one? Well, that's what we believe. The Trinity, the Godhead, we believe in one God. He's describing that the Godhead is one. And Jesus in that Godhead is our mediator because we are condemned by the law, but we are saved by grace. And Jesus is our mediator because he is a high priest who has endured every temptation known to man yet has not sinned. So he empathizes with us, Hebrews tells us. In fact, another good verse to look at is Hebrews 8, 6 for your own personal notes that goes with the Galatians 3, 19 that I'm reading from. And so it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, this not our own, but it is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus, our mediator, who died on the cross for our sins, who is our atonement, as Leviticus, the law, pointed towards, okay? And at the prophecy, Isaiah 53 and others prophesied of, Christ came and became that mediator because he himself took on sin, died for our our sin, so that we who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, we too can have eternal life and not be put to shame, as Romans 10, 8 through 11 reminds us. This is the hope that we have. And uh, I hope that this became really clear for you tonight. I know I'm not on uh, my normal exuberance and excitement because of uh, battling the sickness that I have. But I hope that this still came out to you, that this story here in Mark 9 really makes it clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. He hasn't condemned the law. The law hasn't changed. It still points to our sin. But it, it, the prophets point out that the Messiah is coming to save us from our sin. So it is the grace of God that has been poured out onto us, that as the law condemns us, we can be free from that condemnation through Jesus. That is the beauty of God's word. It is absolutely congruent and it gives us hope. I uh, want to thank you so much tonight for joining us here on Fig Tree Watchers. And... Uh, Tomorrow night, Brother Isle will be joining us uh, for Friday Night Prophecy. I am still um, recovering from the, the illness that I've had for the last, uh, seems like several weeks now. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that uh, you all joined us tonight and it was a really good group. I didn't see a lot of questions tonight, so I think you guys were following.
following along. Some of you may have fallen asleep. Um, uh, but I want to thank you that you uh, joined us tonight. Remember, you can listen to the replay on this on the podcast tomorrow. And uh, I look forward to any questions that anyone wants to shoot out. And we will see you on Friday. Um, and then on Saturday, we will have uh, Saturday Apologetics. And then I'll see you back on Monday, um, where we will be back in the Gospel of Mark, finishing up, um, going through chapter 9, the remaining verses on chapter 9. Good night, everyone. God bless you. And thank you for watching tonight and for listening here on Fig Tree Watchers.